Welcome to Comic Book Herald's Cree Annotators. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of Comic Book Herald, and I'll be interviewing some of my favorite creators in comics about specific runs, graphic novels, or series, looking for their insights or inspiration behind the work, and some ideas or hidden material readers may have missed. Today, I'm excited to welcome Darcy Van Polgeest, author of Little Bird, The Fight for Elder's Hope, one of my favorite comics of the last few years. Little Bird explores a dystopic but parallel Earth where the United Nations of America rules via theocracy in a world run rampant with dark science and genetic genetic modifications. It's a gory, visceral, poetic exploration of resistance against theocratic fascist regimes. Darcy, thanks so much for joining us today. I want to ask you first off, you mentioned in Little Bird number one that the uh, the work was in progress for several years. Uh, can you tell us a little bit, bit about how the story came to be? Yeah, for sure. Um, thanks for having me on. Um, just to say that first. And Absolutely. Uh, I think it's um, important to say that uh, that uh, before we start recording, Dave and I just quick chat about that uh, this is incredibly difficult days that are surrounding us. Um, I almost felt like, should we be doing this? It feels weird to be celebrating yeah. and talking about anything um other than what's happening but um um we still uh we need to to find joy where we can um so anyways thanks for having me on I'm, and i'm i am glad we're doing it but yeah little bird took um little bird took forever <laughs> um and really it was just i was working full-time as a director at the time, um, yeah. doing doing commercial work, which was my, you know, that was my day job up until about well until Little Bird came out basically, mm -hmm. and I've sort of switched gears and I'm writing full time at this point. But, um, but which you know I owe to Little Bird, and um, but yeah, the the idea is really accumulation. It, it's so hard to say because. I think it's, it's quite often happens with first works, and this is my first my first graphic novel. Yeah, um, not my first creative project that I've written, but my first comic. Or um, and uh, it was really just an accumulation of so many things in my life um, that I just kind of dumped into this universe. You know. Yeah through the mad, mad skills of Ian Bertram mm -hmm. and the rest of the team. But um, yeah, it's, you know, I, I, I come from like a, a long line of, um, um, of parents and grandparents that um, have sort of stood up against the status quo in different, different ways, you know, mm -hmm. as really, inspired by that and um at the same time i was when i was doing commercials i would do um some a little bit of work for the government and a little bit of nonprofit work in the sort of documentary uh field um working with indigenous communities and hmm. um uh filming interviews with elders um and a lot of that almost all of it focused around um, residential schools and the lasting impacts and the intergenerational trauma from residential schools. Mm. And um, 
And at the same time, this goes back like almost eight years ago now that I wrote the story. Yeah. Um, so it was a long time ago, and it was really before there just wasn't a lot of talk of there was a lot of talk within the indigenous community and within the nonprofits organizations that were um, uh, involved in education and re-education of indigenous culture which had been lost hmm. um, over a generation because of the legacy of residential schools um, but there was no really at that time it was just before it kind of broke into mainstream conversation um and so can you, i had this can you define that actually for, for yeah. both myself and listeners the the residential schools that you're describing i'll admit that's not uh something i'm super familiar with yeah yeah and it's um i mean it happened in the states too for sure but um yeah and i'm in canada just so everyone knows um but that that basically was the the i'll give the most simple version of it is that the government took um indigenous kids away from their families mm -hmm. and put them into uh christian run schools in order to strip them of their language and their culture and to europeanize them yeah make yeah. them make them white so that they assimilated into the you know commonwealth um country that the british were trying to to establish in Canada. Mm -hmm. So what happened was there was a whole generation of kids that, uh, ind indigenous kids that grew up without knowing their culture or their language. Mm -hmm. And um, it just, you know, it, it just, it, it's done uh, so much damage in those communities and it'll take, you know, generations to, to get back to um, where they were, if ever, you know. But um, so, anyways, that that I was I had the both the pleasure and the pain of being behind the camera and doing literally hundreds of hours of interviews with elders telling me these these stories. Yeah. Um, and so, fast forward to to doing Little Bird. I was actually that this that goes back like 15 years ago. I was doing that kind of work. Hmm. Um, so long before, because it really it's just been in the last like five six years that in Canada it's become um, a conversation, um, a more common conversation sure. about how to reconcile those things, and that efforts are truly being made. Some would argue they're still not, but um, yeah. Anyway, uh, and I want so anyways, I want to do this cry, crazy science fiction story. And, and and I'd been basically since I was a kid, I I um, have had my uh, qualms with um, the the Christian um, just just the way I I just I, like I remember going to Sunday school when I was a little kid, and I just remember sitting there. It, I didn't go. My family didn't go, but I went with a friend. I said, why yeah. don't you come to church with us? And I, just, right. and I just had like so many questions like, but why would they do that? And how come if that's that, then that like, it was just so, and I'm not looking to offend anybody. This is just my own like perspective on it. it There's so many contradictions mm -hmm. that I just could not line up in my head. And I was like eight, you know? <laughs> and then yeah. I think I was in the parking lot, literally like with the rest of the kids around going, 
well, have you thought about this? Because you know, that I got I got kind of shooed off, and I think the um, the pastor actually suggested to my friend's mom said he doesn't have to come back next week. Like, <laughs> it's okay if. Uh, um, Polite way of discouraging those questions. Yeah, yeah. So, some just like a very early age, it's just like things just didn't line up for me. I just I couldn't understand. It, it just it didn't make any sense, and it literally, literally felt um, untruthful. Yeah, you know. And so, anyways, going back to what I was originally describing, it was, it was just an accumulation of so many things over my life and um but i wanted to tell a, a sci-fi epic because i was a canadian filmmaker and everything always had to be small and you never mm-hmm. you never had a budget um to do anything where you could realize a world like this yeah um and then given the given the um you know the plot that i was playing with i decided to you know make the um the protagonist um, who she is, you know, which her, her mother's indigenous and to adopt some of those ideas in there. And even at the time of scripting, you know, largely, um, uh, anything involving the environment, the indigenous are always on the front line of those, of, of protecting the environment. Yeah. You know, the pipeline they're putting down here. And and it's it's almost always women, too. Um, so, yeah, it was just sort of like an accumulation of, of a lot of ideas and experiences from my life, sure. basically. Yeah. Sure. No, that all makes sense. How did you uh, wind up getting in contact with Ian Bertram as, uh, as the artist for this project, who does uh, some truly incredible work, you know, alongside colorist Matt Hollingsworth? Yeah, uh, I wish it was a more exciting story, but I, I literally just, I think I, f- I found his work on uh, DeviantArt. Yeah. Um, I think it was Ed Brisson who pointed it out to me. Yeah. Um, do you know Ed? Ed he, you know, he writes for Marvel. I'm familiar with his comics work, yeah. And I, yeah, yeah. I saw that you guys, uh, you co-wrote um, or worked together on The Orchard, which uh, I watched uh, somewhat recently, which which was an interesting comics connection that I, I didn't realize, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Ed is really the only person at that point I'd ever met in my life that worked in comics. Yeah. Um, and so it was, and Ed's a big part of this book happening because just for that reason that if you don't meet people or you don't see people who represent you um, doing things, um, you just don't believe it's possible, you know. Mm-hmm. And I met Ed and I thought, this guy writes comics. I mean, I've always wanted to do that, you know. Mm-hmm. Um but anyways, Ed pointed out um, Ian's work on DeviantArt. And so I emailed Ian and just said, hey, I wrote this comic called Little Bird. Would you be interested in looking at it? <laughs> yeah. And uh, he had done a couple of things but at, at that point. Um, Bowery Boys, which was published through Dark Horse, and, mm-hmm. and a few th- <clears throat> sort of small things for DC. Um, um, and yeah, he, he, he emailed back and I think he was, I think we, we remember this a little different when we talk about it, but I think he was a little bit skeptical, you know, just because I was just some guy up in Canada, you know, like writing some weird thing about, you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, once he read it, he was, he was interested and it just kind of went from there. Fair enough. 
Uh, you mentioned at the start of this, which I think is important to reiterate, we're recording this on June 1st, 2020. This is uh, the the Monday after, um, you know, enormous um, protests across America and you know, protesting racial injustice and, and police brutality. And I was struck rereading the material this weekend. You know, the fight for elders hope it's definitely a story of resistance and rebellion. Um, and the material is is again. I don't want to equate the things; they're not the same. But it's it's pertinent how you know how the book's fiction feels um, uh, right now in terms of you know stories about resistance. And you know, I think there's a lot of questions right now people have about the right ways to rebel. And I, I don't think Little Bird pretends to have the answers, right? But it's it, it's an example. Um, what you mentioned, what Little Bird's rebellion, I think, is is born out of. But you also mentioned some family. Uh, kind of being involved in in these types of you know over overthrowing maybe is a strong word but upending status quo those sorts of things uh, is there I guess what are the examples that like this sort of rebellion or resistance work is is born out of in your own life um, lessons that you've picked up on that you're trying to thread through here um, or any ideas you have in terms of like the shape of why this is necessary I suppose. Yeah, it's just, it's impossible to have any kind of change without resistance. Mm -hmm. um, it, it's, it, it is, um, it, it just purely on almost a scientific level, it just doesn't work, you know. Um, things tend to flow in, flow down the path of least resistance. I mean, that is science. Right. That's just, you know, it's like if there's a river, it just literally flows the path of least resistance. Mm -hmm. um, and the only thing that can obstruct that water and, and cause it to move in a new direction is resistance. And it's, it's no different when it comes to um, streams, you know, streams of water work the same way as as people in that in that respect. Um, so obviously, in Little Bird, we're we're exploring that, and because it's an epic sci-fi book, it's largely done through um, big, bombastic, violent yeah. uh, con conflicts. Um, but the reality is in real life, um, it doesn't always need to be like that. There's resistance, you know, it, in fact, it's almost more effective in my experience that resistance, resistance comes in smaller, um, pieces. I, 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 I keep thinking about this, um, um, I, I I actually almost wrote about it on social media, and now here I am. Gonna, but then I I just thought I don't know, it didn't feel right. But mm -hmm. I, I I keep going back. I keep thinking about as an example of small moments of resistance that everyone can do, and and it is um, pregnant for white people to do. You know more than ever. Mm -hmm. Um, are those small acts of resistance like, um, you know, when someone makes a, a joke at 
a sexist or a racist joke or one that that's uh, homophobic, you know, just to not laugh, mm-hmm. just to be that person in the room that doesn't laugh. Yeah. And of course, everything you you know, like millions of years of evolution tells you to laugh mm-hmm. because you don't want you know you, you you're no one's looking for resistance you know um but as soon as you consciously make that decision not to it actually becomes like a really powerful act of resistance mm-hmm. um and um and uh, and and that's you know just a small thing that that everyone can do but um Anyway, I forgot the question. <laughs> no, but, um, no, no, that that totally answers it. I mean, I, I think yeah. that's that's what what well, that's what I'm leaning into. Um, is yeah. yeah, what are I guess the yeah, what are the lessons and and what are the the movements and small takeaways? And I think everyone has different takes on this, certainly, and that's okay. I think it's definitely the 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 ability to just talk about it now i think is more important than ever um and and to learn and to grow if that's where you're at and and to help in the ways that you can um so it's not the same thing um but i think christianity is is unquestionably the villain of this narrative and that's another obviously topic that gets politicized and and very sensitive for a lot of groups of people um you know within this amplified theocracy in the book there's crusades level violence right it's all ruled by a very super villain pope like it's not yeah. you know it's it's direct right you're not you're not beating around the bush um what's your own I, I guess you talked about this actually pretty effectively as far as your own religious background uh, i was curious if this was something you were de- deeply ingrained in and then came back around and and are now on the other side of it or sounds like not necessarily, not something you really grew up with. Um, were you worried, though, at all about the type of anger that this incites? Uh, definitely the the Catholic community, Catholic Church has a pretty long history of, you know, condemnation of works that, that target or that vilify Catholicism. Uh, was this something that worried you or it just felt like an important, pretty natural story and, and that wasn't something you were focused on? Yeah, no, it didn't worry me at all. Um, you know, I'm, I come from, um, we, we, we haven't had religion in my family for a long time. So we're very yeah. openly atheist and we talk about, um, politics and religion, um, quite critically, objectively, openly. Um, so it never really occurred to me until we started making the book. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not that Ian had a problem with any of it. He, he didn't, but we would just naturally get into a conversation about scenes as we approached them. Yeah. Um, and I, it was really through his eyes and those conversations that I started to see, oh, right. Like this might be really offensive to some people, but I didn't. Interesting. Yeah. It didn't, it didn't really, um, I don't live in that world. Um, I mean, I, I'm not, uh, I, I'm aware that people will be offended, of course but not um maybe not to the degree that that um others might mm. um but yeah it was it's you know it, it's it, it's um you know Mar- margaret atwood said this about the handmaid's tale which is i haven't put anything in here even though this is a fictional story i haven't put anything in here that hasn't actually happened yeah right and 
you know, that's not um, far off from um, a lot of the things that that happen in Little Bird too. It's um, I think it's a shock to you know people now that who 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 don't understand history or haven't spent time um, reading about it. But I mean, some you know really really horrible things were done in the name of the church. Anyway, yeah, no, it, it's I, I was never um, too worried about it. Okay. Myself, yeah, yeah, no, that's good. It it that is funny that it would have to come from an outside perspective um, to to sort of like you know to to have those eyes on. Oh, this is probably going to uh, the the Pope wielding you know these like genetically modified tentacle monsters and, <laughs> and all the all the violence might upset some people. Um, I grew I grew up in a very religious home myself, so I, I definitely come from that background and it's you know it's just a part of me it's unshakable and and now i definitely question and i'm skeptical i think that uh context you provided at the front of this of um indigenous peoples and and the ways religion could be used sort of insidiously to to take them from their culture and and try to indoctrinate them towards you know the, the quote-unquote you know right path of christianity is is yeah. fantastic context of what it, it, exactly what is being utilized in in little bird you know because that now understanding that i can see why in many ways you would choose theocracy as the the sort of ultimate evil of government um because i think in one thing i was thinking about reading this is in a lot of ways theocracy has almost taken a back seat over the last uh four-ish years um in in terms of like it's just it, it felt more pertinent i suppose during the bush years in america uh, the the conflation of politics and religion, whereas now it just seems so, and maybe this is just me getting older and where I am in my life, but it seems so disconnected from from the current establishment, yeah. Um, if you will, you know, it's not particularly Christian behavior to use to use those terms, right? Uh, a president yeah. being a a very outspoken bully on social media, for example, right? It's just so outwardly not that question so i was sort of like well is theocracy almost is it almost diminished in its power is it almost diminished in its as a threat i think you pulling the historical context of it and, and not that it's gone anywhere it's not it's not going anywhere right religion is still a, a major thing in the world and something mm -hmm. i look at often um but i think that provides context is that as far as kind of being the the big bad of the story and a target for you um was that something that you are, I guess let's, let's tie this to what's coming next, which is precious metal. Mm -hmm. Is that a thread that you're definitely looking to continue, um, as you continue to work through this, it, it really just like dismantling or, or looking at sort of the evils of the way that religion can be misused? Um, or was that more a function of elders hope and maybe we go a different direction in the future? And and I don't want you to have to spoil anything, but just. No, no, no. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, the thing is, it, it's, the, you know, I, I just want to say, like, you know, we, we, could, we can always discuss the existence of God. And that's completely, but that is irrelevant to, to what I'm writing about, mm -hmm. which is that the institution of religion, the church, has al always been used as a weapon. Mm-hmm. 
always. It, it's 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 not it's not like oh it's taken some you know bad turn in recent years. It's that was literally um, it's the and it's not just Christianity. It's all all religions within the institution of them. They're developed and weaponized almost immediately. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's the easiest way to galvanize your community to follow through with the ideas that you feel are necessary in order to thrive within your own cultural beliefs, economic prosperity. Um, and so it's those things I'm taking on. It's not that I have a problem or that I'm trying to demonize believers. Um, it's that, um, I'm, and, and Christianity was really the only option because I want to tell a story set in North America. Right. And, um, but anyway, um, so that, that is sort of like the founding pillars of the little bird universe. Right. And, um, and, Precious metal takes place 35 years before Little Bird, hmm. um, and so it it deals with um, sort of the inception of of bishops' rise to power. Although it's hmm. not specifically about that, um, you get to kind of see like where was the major turning point. Um, so yeah, I mean, to answer your question, it still is dealing with that subject matter. Um, a little bit less so than in Little Bird, because Little Bird is really the climax of that event. Hmm. Um, and we, that, you know, Ian and I are sort of developing this story in three parts, which is Little Bird, if you imagine it as a triangle, <laughs> Little Bird is here at the top. There's Precious Metal and there's Little Bird Book Two. Okay. And those three pieces of work will sort of like form a bigger picture and a bigger story. Um, so, yeah, again, by the time awesome. I finish talking, I'm not really sure if I answer your question. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's, I, always, it's... I always forget where I, you know, by the time I get to the end, I don't know where yeah, I am. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Did I answer that? No, it's totally fine. I mean, I want this to be to be conversational by yeah. nature. So I think that 100% is addressing what I'm tr- what I'm trying to get to in my own roundabout way as I, you know, try to explore these these larger things with you um on the go. I do you have a sense of timing for uh for both Precious Metal and Little Bird 2? Little Bird 2 no, that's it'll be quite a ways off, but um Precious Metal we are aiming for the end of the year. It might end up being early next year. Um sure. We, yeah, we we're taking like a long um, uh, well, we were, we're going to complete the book before mm-hmm. we release the first issue. Okay. And it's, uh, going to be a six issue series yeah. as far, as far as I can tell. Um, and each one is like, like little bird. It's like, you know, 36 to 40 pages, like they're big books. Yeah. And, um, and you know, Ian is just, like killing it. He's just like smashing these pages. Like, yeah, it's, it's really his next level. Um, so putting a ton of time into it. So yeah, hopefully early next year is kind of what we're aiming for. Excellent. Excellent. I'm 
really looking forward to that. I, you mentioned Ian there, the artist on this, who's doing obviously work that has been very rightly celebrated um, as as some of the best in comics. There are some really cool inventive layouts in Little Bird, and, yeah. and I imagine to come in Precious Metal. As this is your first published comics work, um, how much how much in terms of layout did you were you looking to put into script uh, versus? I, certainly the just the collaborative nature of it with ian but but letting him kind of have free reign um to to try and experiment things on his own <clears throat> yeah basically both so i i give pretty specific um panel breakdowns mm -hmm. basically the way i look at it is it's it's my job to and i not not everybody works this way but um to give the artist ian um to be as specific as i can mm -hmm. um but also to give him the complete freedom to change things whenever he feels like it's better you know yeah. which is often um so he'll like do a layout send me a picture call me up and say hey i saw what you're you know i see what you're trying to do here but i was thinking if we did this might work a little better for this reason and uh most of the time, like, yeah, great. I mean, mm -hmm. it, it's really, it's, it's so important that, um, that the artist tells their own version of the story, um, it, in order to co-author it, you know, like, a right. it, it really, I don't know. It, it just, it, it, it just wouldn't be as good and it also wouldn't be as fun. <laughs> yeah. You know, so, um, generally if he wants to change things, I'd, it's it's usually for the better and i'm fine with it cool cool that being said i'll, I'll earmark certain things that um like a lot of my writing is really there's a certain amount of um uh, there's a cyclical nature to the work i guess and so um not only just in like you know themes that come up in dialogue and stuff but also um, visually. Mm -hmm. So there are certain scenes where it's going to be referenced later in the work. Um, so it needs more of a specific pattern for that reason. Like, um, but also Ian and I work out a lot of that stuff together where I'll just say, you know, like the layout of this page or the pacing of this scene is we're going to see that again here for this reason. So how, what do you think is the best way to, to approach that and just get that's cool yeah i noticed in issue one and issue five is probably the most obvious example where the the dialogue is reused from the opening and then it kind of comes back around are those layouts the same i i'll admit i didn't notice that they might be yeah i okay. can't remember but but quite often like yeah i mean sometimes we're doing stuff like that and like nobody's ever going to notice it but we do and and uh it makes us excited about the book now i'm just looking but uh <laughs> No, oh, it's yeah. a nice, uh, you mentioned the cyclical nature. I mean, it's a nice, yeah. I, I appreciated that in, in the dialogue or in the, in the narration yeah. where it's right. We started here and now we come back around and it has a new meaning, right? By the end of the book, um, yeah. you kind of, now we have more context, right? For that world. I think of that visually is doing the same thing. That's a really cool little trick, even if it's, you know, relatively unobserved. <laughs> yeah, suppose. exactly. It's, you know, yeah. you, you may be the only one who ever notices it, but yeah, we did do stuff like that and we do. And in Precious Metal, um, I think we're putting even more thought into that mm. 
those those type of things so it's basically like it's there for people who want to find it and yeah i think the you know ian and i have this idea that we're trying to create work that is you know more about rereading than reading um mm. to try and give yeah you know i like that i like that idea i talk a lot about comics obviously there's i read a lot of superhero comics and i talk a lot about my lack of desire to reread yeah. <laughs> most stories frankly right. um, yeah. once i have them I'm, I'm good and i there's so many new things out in culture to consume right that you, you feel that like there's always something new uh little bird i would say is is definitely on that short list of works that that a reread actually adds a lot i think a big part of that is one thing i think you you do very well in storytelling is you leave open spaces you leave um i had a conversation um last week with ryan o'sullivan writer of fearscape from vault comics oh which is great about, yeah yeah which i i love the work that's i'm glad to hear you say that um he talks a lot about letting readers build bridges right and and leaving gaps and letting them build one bridge to the other this is something i noticed you doing uh in the orchard which i watched your film work where there's a lot of open-ended questions it's a short film it's 16 minutes you don't get all the background in exposition right yeah <laughs> you, you leave many questions yeah and i think that that is appealing to some and some people are going to go away and say that didn't make any sense right it's yeah. it's up to up to the audience i think um with with precious metal you're going back 35 years are you given that sort of storytelling approach not that you can't try different things obviously are mm -hmm. you looking to fill in more gaps or are you looking to continue that approach with a a new story i guess what is the inspiration for um going backwards going to a prologue yeah that's such a good question i don't know if i have the answer but um to why we're doing a prologue but i can i can say that i almost we almost didn't do it um mm. because um i hate prequels <laughs> <laughs> because they they usually they they exist to capitalize on the last thing and they do fill in the blanks and it's it is less interesting and um but i think that it's not it, i i the reason we went ahead with it and and i'm okay with it is because it's not really that type of storytelling isn't really within me anyway um i don't like you said even if you look at my short films they're not that they, they just leave a ton to for the audience to be um involved in mm -hmm. um and um sorry i'm really stuffed up right now from seasonal allergies so it's i, <laughs> I get i get the same thing so i can't breathe no and talk at the same time which makes me kind of dumb but um <laughs> it's a challenge yeah you know when blood doesn't get up there it stops things but um yeah so it's so no uh, uh sorry precious metal is it's a, it's a completely new story. Um, it's it's only made it more fun in that we can tell this new story while finding things to to fill in um, a few of the questions that it might have come up in Little Bird, but it's not there to answer them. Okay. Um, and you know, still it, it, it's uh, lots for the readers to be involved in in terms of like you said building bridges um 
so yeah it, it's a fine it's it's a fine line though you, you do have to be careful i mean mm -hmm. um you the last thing you want to do is um start making star wars prequels you know <laughs> <laughs> right that's the definitely the big example and culture of of why you should not do that <laughs> yeah <laughs> no i'm looking forward to it definitely i think um i, I expect that that you and ian and the team uh will have a a smart way to to approach that that isn't um isn't just the the negatives of of prequel culture <laughs> i have i have full confidence in that Anything else that uh, works that you want to plug? Um, things you have coming out, uh, comics, film, whatever it might be. Uh, well, I'm working on a, a graphic novel called The Nature of Light uh, mm -hmm. with Renee Nault, who mm -hmm. did the graphic novel adaptation of Handmaid's Tale. Mm. Um, <clears throat> it's, it's almost pointless bringing it up right now because it's going to be so long before it's done and out. <laughs> But uh, that is something else I'm working on. Um, I'm also working on a shorter story called The Color, uh, sorry, The Cutting Garden with Erin Connolly, who is, um, she's a watercolor artist, lives mm -hmm. in, in America. Um, and yeah, a couple of little things that I can't really say anything about right now, but that's, sure. that's really the, the main stuff. Yeah. Sounds good. Sounds good. Mm -hmm.